Good morning. It is so good to be with you. And if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, to Luke chapter 14. Um, While you're turning there, let me first say uh, how blessed I was to hear that testimony and hear uh, how you are broadly thinking about our call to care for the fatherless and uh, to be a people of God who... um, who uh, express the many-faceted mercies of God in this way. Um, I say that as, I guess, first and foremost, an adopted son of God. Um, secondly, as an adoptive dad, and even as uh, one who used to work in the foster care system. I used to be a social worker in foster care, so I've been on both sides of those invasive questions. Um, I don't know where our sister went. Which I love that invasive question um, comment. Well, um, let me bring you greetings as well from your brothers and sisters at Covenant Fellowship just up the road. We love you. Um, We love the opportunities that we have to partner together. And I'm excited to tell you a little bit more uh, to update those of you who are already familiar with Covenant Mercies and also introduce uh, those of you who are learning about Covenant Mercies uh, for the first time to our ministry and uh, and what makes us tick, why we do what we do. I love the fact that we will also spend the bulk of this time in God's Word because the reasons that we do what we do are found here. This is where we get our motivation. I will spend some time at the end just briefly introducing and updating on the ministry, but let's begin in God's Word. Uh, If you're with me in Luke chapter 14, I want to begin reading in verse 12. This is Jesus sitting at the table of a Pharisee. He's been invited for dinner. He, being Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. We all know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a kindness that has strings attached. Um, A a kindness that seems to be motivated more out of self-interest than out of a true spirit of generosity. I don't know how many teachers we have in the room, but I hate to break it to you. The the proverbial apple on the teacher's desk is rarely a pure expression of generosity. That may be a little bit of a cynical attitude. Um, But think about about this. You you remember the, we used to call them the squeegee guys. You remember the squeegee guys? They would come out in Philadelphia. I don't know if you had them in Wilmington as well. Um, But, you know, this is no criticism of the these guys, they had their reasons for doing this, but you'd stop at a certain traffic light and boom, they'd be on all the cars and they'd start putting the windshield washer on your, on your uh, windshield. And then uh, you would very quickly, now if you were from out of town, you might think, oh wow, oh, city of brotherly love, it's really true. Uh, you know, the welcoming committee is here. But then you learn very quickly that, okay, no, if you expect them to actually remove the washer fluid from your car, uh, they're expecting something from you. Um, There are certain forms of generosity, the welcoming committee in Philadelphia, that you almost feel like you need to be on your guard against because really it's nothing more than a thinly veiled uh, attempt to obligate you to do something in return. 
This reciprocity ethic, this idea that I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, was very strong in the Greco-Roman world that Jesus lived in, and it was pervasive in the Jewish society of that time as well. So as Jesus sits at the table of this Pharisee, he knows well the mindset that he's addressing. One would act in a generous way toward others in order to elicit a similar uh, generosity in return. And conversely, if someone extended a, a generosity or a kindness to you, you would feel an obligation, even an ethical obligation, to reciprocate. Now, while, while this reciprocity ethic may not be as explicit or as strong in our modern way of thinking, uh, it's undeniably present in our world today as well. It lies just beneath the surface in most of our personal and social interactions. If we're honest, we really have to admit that there's very little that we do in life that isn't somehow motivated or influenced by our own self-interest. And on certain levels, that's perfectly okay. Uh, it's not, I don't want to communicate that uh, this idea of reciprocity is inherently evil or impure. There are many contexts where it's perfectly fine and even the highest good. Think of, think of the business context, right? If I have a product or a service that I am happy to provide for you for X amount of dollars, which you are happy to part with in exchange for that product or service, that really, that's the highest ideal. That is the, that is the goal. That's a perfectly uh, the ideal business transaction. Uh, and by the way, if it sounds like I'm endorsing free market economic principles, I am. Um, but that's not my point. Uh, my point is simply to say that reciprocity in and of itself is not wrong. However, as he so often does, Jesus comes to us with some questions that probe into the depths of our hearts and motivations. He, he pushes us down beneath those natural human tendencies. See, what Jesus calls us to here is a selfless love that expends itself for others without regard for what they can give us in return. That doesn't come naturally to us. I probably don't need to tell you. In our sinful nature, uh, we are bent toward doing things that are in our own self-interest and toward neglecting things that really don't offer any personal benefit to us at all. And so, against the grain of his own ancient culture, against the grain of our cultures of today, against the grain of our natural human tendencies and our sinful nature, Jesus teaches us here that true Christian generosity goes beyond the bounds of reciprocity. True Christian generosity goes beyond the bounds of reciprocity. In fact, one of the defining characteristics of generosity that's uniquely Christian, and by that I mean generosity that's not merely human, it's just normal among us as human beings, but one of the defining characteristics of generosity that is uniquely Christian is its intentional focus on those who can do nothing to repay it. Jesus says, you want to know whether your love is truly Christian love? Love those who have no capacity to love you in return. You want to know whether your generosity is like that of your Father in heaven? Give to those who can do nothing to repay you. 
This is generosity in its purest form, and Jesus wants us to be sure that it's present and visible in our lives as his disciples. And so for the balance of our time in the word, I just want to make two observations about this generosity that Jesus commends to us. Two two observations about this generosity. Number one, it takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. This generosity takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. Contrary to the way Jesus' words may sound to us at face value, he's not forbidding us from having our friends over, from being generous toward our families, from gathering at Thanksgiving and celebrating together with our loved ones. Um, If that's what he was commanding, he would be commanding us to violate other scriptures that clearly call us to care for our families and to care for those who are closest to us. Um, Remember, he's at the table of a Pharisee. He knows well what their practices are. He knows what our human tendencies are, as we've just been reflecting on earlier. So he's using uh, hyperbole. He's using strong language here to jar us out of our complacency, to jar us out of our comfort zone, and to make a point. What point is Jesus making? He's saying that as God's people... Our generosity shouldn't be limited to that which is normal among the world. It's normal to be generous toward those who can return the favor to us somehow. As disciples of Christ, we're called to take generous initiative toward those who can't repay us. And listen, I love this precisely because they can't repay us. (laughs) I love the way Jesus explains the reason why we shouldn't invite our friends, our family, the rich who we might want to hang out with over to our little dinner party. He says it almost as if it should be intuitive. Um, Don't do that lest lest they also invite you and you be repaid. As if that's a tragedy, right? I mean, um, I'm thinking like if I invited Carson Wentz over after the game with his wife and his little daughter, and oh, you know, God forbid they would invite me over to their place in, in exchange. That would be tragic, right? No, Jesus is not pretending that that would be a tragedy. What Jesus is saying is that's the way the world thinks. That's the way the world operates. If your generosity remains only within those bounds, what difference really has the grace of God made? Read with me again in verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. Notice he doesn't say you'll be blessed even though they can't repay you, despite the fact that they can't repay you. No, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. There's a cause and effect relationship here. The blessing for you is the direct result of the fact that you have selected as the object of your generosity those who cannot return the favor. As you take initiative toward those who can't repay you, fully aware of the fact that they will never be able to repay you, God promises that he will repay you for that very same reason. And this, Jesus says, is one of the things that ought to characterize us as Christians and distinguish us from the world. This is a a characteristic that differentiates Christian love from what we might think of as natural or normal love in the world. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus spoke in similar terms when he called us to love even our enemies. Um, I believe we have Luke chapter 6, 
uh, to project on the screen. I'm going to begin reading in verse 32. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Brothers and sisters, how do we demonstrate that we are sons and daughters of the Most High? Not merely by doing the same things that are possible and even normal apart from faith. As Jesus would say, what credit is that to us? How does that distinguish us from the world? The world neglects to show kindness to those who can do nothing to repay it. But I love where Jesus turns the corner in that passage and says, but... He's saying, not so with you. It shall not be so with us as his disciples. We demonstrate that we are children of our Father in heaven and disciples of his son Jesus by taking initiative where it wouldn't be natural, where it wouldn't be normal for us to do so, by loving even our enemies. We need to pause when we hear that because we, we just get so used to Jesus saying things like that and we, don't, we, we forget how countercultural that is, how, how counter-natural that is. Uh, but we are called to love our enemies. And in a similar way, we are called to intentionally ensure that our generosity extends not only to those who are near and dear to us naturally, but to those who can do nothing to repay us. Now let's bring the scene back to the Pharisees' table um, because there's a most profound accent that's placed on Jesus' exhortation here in in this simple fact. And and it's a fact that goes right over the head of those who are seated around the table with him, but we should see uh, that it doesn't go over our heads. That simple fact is this. The one who is sitting there at the table with them is himself God incarnate. He he is there with them because he humbled himself, uh, because he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, took the nature of a servant, and took initiative toward those who could do nothing to repay him in return. Soon he will turn toward Calvary and he will give all, enduring death on a cross for those who can do nothing to repay him for his sacrifice. And listen, let me have your attention. If you're here today or if you're tuning in uh, by Facebook Live uh, and you're not presently a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe you're uh, exploring what the Christian faith is all about. Maybe you're uh, being raised in a family, in a Christian family, and you're deciding whether this is a faith that you are taking on for yourself. You need to understand something very important here. There is nothing you can do to repay God. You don't come to Jesus 
uh, as a way of repaying God for the wrongs that you've done or repaying him for the kindnesses that he's shown you. You come to Jesus as an act of faith, believing and knowing that his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave are sufficient to cover the penalty for your sins and restore your relationship to the Father. But for those of us who are presently already in a position of faith, I trust that you see the rich gospel truth that's bound up in what Jesus is calling us to here. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Take initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay you. Lavish them with love and kindness and generosity. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did when he left behind the riches and the glory of heaven to seek and save lost sinners like you and me. The generosity that Jesus commends us to here takes selfless Christ-like initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay it. And secondly, the second observation about this generosity is simply that it's driven by faith. This generosity is driven by faith. Even as Jesus calls us to a generosity that's not self-interested, he simultaneously lifts our eyes to a reward that can only be seen through the eyes of faith. Again, verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Amazingly, as we put off this this natural human tendency to be motivated by the things of this world and take initiative instead toward those who can do nothing to repay us in the world's terms... Jesus promises that we will be repaid in eternity. Uh, And now, listen, we embrace this reward by faith, by trusting that, very simply, that the words Jesus said to us here are true, that these words represent the ultimate reality, that what we sacrifice from our bank accounts or from our energies and our efforts in this life, uh, for those who can do nothing to repay us for that, will accrue to our accounts in eternity. And this, brothers and sisters, is the great and glorious paradox of giving in the kingdom of God. Uh, It is a sacrifice to give toward those who can do nothing to repay you. We shouldn't pretend that it's not a sacrifice. It is. It will cost you something. It will cost you the ability to use those funds towards something else that might benefit you more in the here and now. But... When you consider that sacrifice, in light of the eternal reward Jesus promises us here, it really is no sacrifice at all. It's actually much better thought of as an investment, and this is the most secure investment that you can imagine to make. If you think about it, there are many sacrifices we make in the short term in life in order to, uh, to receive a reward later that we expect to receive. Uh, some of you who know me uh, probably know that I love gardening, and so every spring I love to get out in the garden. I love to get dirt under my fingernails and see those plants, you know, start to bear fruit later in the season. Um, several years ago, I, I actually uh, got very excited about cultivating uh, 
perennial fruit-bearing bushes and mostly blueberry bushes. So I dove in with both feet or jumped in with both feet. I guess you dive in with both hands. Um, <laughs> and uh, began doing all the research and learned, okay, I got I to gotta change the soil. They love acidic soil, so I amended the soil to give them what they needed there. You mulch around the roots because they have very shallow roots and they like to keep wet feet. And you learn all these things about what you're supposed to do to really have blueberry bushes that thrive. Well, one of the things you do that they advise you to do in the first three years of growing from little baby blueberry bushes is you pinch the blossoms for the first three seasons. Um, and now you may be aware that the blossoms are what ultimately become the berries. So when you pinch the blossoms those first three years, you're telling the bush, put all your energies into developing a strong root system, a strong base, and then that bush may serve you, it may produce fruit for you for 75 years after that. But you're foregoing that fruit in the first three years. Um, in order to facilitate that process. And I remember getting to the third season. The first year it was easy. It was, there were hardly any blossoms on these little things anyway. The second year there was a few more. The third year, oh man, I wanted to taste some of those blueberries. It's been three years now. Um, there's, you know, there's more. The bushes look strong enough. It was, it was painful to pinch the blossoms that third year and just forego that fruit. But for the sake of a future harvest, I decided I can sacrifice these for now. Brothers and sisters, what Jesus is asking us here is, do you want to be satisfied with a, a couple of handfuls of blueberries? Or will you believe me? Will you simply trust me that sacrificing that small pleasure now will result in a future harvest that you cannot even fathom? Well, this is a reward that can only be seen through the eyes of faith. And God is pleased. I believe he's even uniquely glorified in a way when we simply take him at his word. Though we can't see it now, we take him at his, at his word. And we believe him uh, that when we fix our eyes, not on the things of this world, uh, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Jesus is lifting our eyes here to that unseen reward, which, though unseen, is every bit as real as the tangible sacrifice, only far more lasting. Now, several years ago, I became aware of a couple in my home church uh, who were sponsoring seven children through our orphan sponsorship program. I'll tell you more about that program in a few minutes here. But they were sponsoring seven children through our program. And um, I just happened upon this information. By the way, if you're my friend, don't worry. I don't go looking through our database to figure out how many children uh, my friends are sponsoring. But when I happened upon this information, I was kind of blown away by it. Um, not because of the number seven, by the way. There are some who sponsor even more. But I know these folks. And I know that they're living a very common, normal, middle-class lifestyle. They're not wealthy by any stretch, by American standards. And so when I, when I became aware of that, I just needed to drop them a note in the mail and tell them how grateful I was that they were sacrificing that much for seven kids in our program. Um, I did that. Later, we bumped into each other and had a conversation about the note. And I came to learn how that transpired through the years. Like many of us, when the program was launched, um, they sponsored one or two kids at the beginning. And then they just kind of uh, they engaged in a practice every year thereafter. If the husband, the primary breadwinner of this family, got a raise, um, they would just add one more child to sponsor, kind of based on the principle that the Lord provided well for us last year with the income that we had. Now he's increased. Let's share a little bit of that increased, increase with another child in need. 
And so through the years, uh, it built up to seven children for them. Later, they even added a, a monthly gift to our general fund as well to uh, help fund some of the projects that we don't use sponsorship funds uh, to, uh, to, to uh, build. And so, uh, by the way, I just have to tell you, in preparation for bringing this message again, I checked in our database, and sure enough, they're sponsoring 12 kids now. So it looks like they have continued with this practice. And listen, my point is not to suggest that all of us should be sponsoring 12 kids or that all of us should engage in that exact practice as this couple does. My point is simply to say, these folks are not people of significant means. Um, they could use those funds uh, to benefit their lives much more in the here and now, but that's not what motivates them, and I was so inspired. They are motivated. Uh, they're a couple whose eyes are fixed, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. They're sacrificing now for a reward that's being kept in heaven for them, where moth and rust will not uh, destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. I still want to live my life uh, following after their example as they follow after Christ in this way. Now, when I think of Jesus' exhortation here to be generous toward those who can do nothing to repay us. There are many ways to apply, and again, I'm thrilled that we're talking about foster care and adoption as well. Um, there are many ways to apply that word, but I, I can't help but think of the children in our orphan sponsorship program. Um, if you are sponsoring children through our program, there's virtually no way they will ever be able to repay you. That's exactly the kind of generosity that Jesus is commending to us in this passage. It's precisely this kind of generosity that he promises to repay at the resurrection of the just. And I just imagine that, that one of the ways the Lord might reward us is by allowing us in eternity to meet some of the people, uh, some of those lives that we affected through our generosity. Uh, imagine when you're standing before the Lord and, and he says to you, uh, or when you say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you thirsty and provide you with drink? He'll say, this part is not my imagination. This is straight out of Matthew 25. He'll say, even as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And then I imagine he might just pull a young lady up by his side and say, this is Kalkidon. Kalkidon was born in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. She was born with HIV. She was on a trajectory to die of AIDS just like her parents had done, but you gave and connected her to medical care so that she could live. And this, this brought a lady named Helena into her life. And Helena shared the gospel with Kalkidon and led her to faith. Kalkidon is here today because you gave when there was nothing she could do to repay you. Or he might pull a young man up by his side and say, this is Charles. Your investment into Lighthouse Christian School enabled Charles to get a quality education. He came to faith as a child through a, a VBS that Lighthouse put on. Ultimately, he was able to go to university and become a school teacher and influence the lives of so many other children in Zambia, all because you gave into his life when there was nothing he could do to repay you. Think of the ripple effects that will take place throughout eternity. Think of the, ch the, the future children and grandchildren of our presently sponsored children 
who will know the love of Jesus because somebody shared the love of Jesus with their grandfather or their mother while they were young children running around in the community with, without sufficient care. Think of all the lives that will be touched through the lives that we're able to touch now by God's grace. I believe that part of our reward will be the joy of seeing with with the open eyes of eternity the full glorious impact of our acts of kindness and generosity that we engaged in by faith while we were here on this earth. Well, it takes the eyes of faith to see that in the here and now, and I couldn't be more grateful for the faith that God has given to so many to join with us in this work through the years, and for 18 years now, as Joel said. So I want to turn the corner now and just start to to introduce the ministry to you and update you on the ministry. Um, The main centerpiece of our ministry in Covenant Mercies has always been what we call our orphan sponsorship program, and this is a program through which we can sponsor a fatherless child um, who lives uh, within the context of his or her extended family. So in some ways, it's, it's like foster care. It's like a kinship care program through our local church partners. We build partnerships on the ground in the developing world. Right now, we're working in Uganda, Ethiopia, and Zambia. And then we build teams within those churches that go out into their community to care for children living within that extended family environment. And we have the privilege of being able to sponsor Uh, those children and families uh, through our program. Well, through 18 years of uh, ministry in sub-Saharan Africa and 14 years of good fruit from our partnership with, uh, to develop Lighthouse Christian School along with Will Broad and Zicky Chanda, you're looking at a beautiful family from Ethiopia there. Uh, we've been able to develop Lighthouse Christian School with Will Broad and Zicky Chanda. Some of you have been there and uh, know the Chandas and have, have uh, been part of that work for many years. I'm going to come back to to Lighthouse in a bit, but through our experience working in Zambia, we have learned uh, that effectively breaking cycles of poverty in our children's lives requires a significant and intentional and very direct investment into the education of our children. Uh, now, why is education so important? Well, it's mainly so important because we're, our goals are much higher than, than merely helping them survive a difficult childhood. So our goals in the life of each and every child is to see them restored to everything God has created them to be as his image bearers. We believe that he has created them with gifts that they are meant to cultivate and grow in and bring him glory and bring much joy into their own lives through the expression of those gifts. And so education becomes critically important to our mission uh, as, as we seek to help them identify and grow in those gifts. And this is why we have invested so heavily into school projects, both in Zambia and in, in other program areas um, during the, through the years. Uh, now, using Lighthouse in Zambia as our model uh, that we consider worth replicating in program areas elsewhere where we're working, uh, we have invested, all right, great, you're now looking at the site plan for Hope Community Primary School in Kibora, Uganda. That's Western Uganda. Um, we are working there, and, and we have... Um, more than 400 sponsored children, actually probably closer to 500 sponsored children who are now sponsored in this region. Um, We have invested about $250,000 over the past few years, first into the purchase of land 
for this uh, project. Secondly, for the, the site plan development, we worked with engineers on the ground in Uganda to develop this site plan and prepare for how we would roll it out. And then in 2019, last year, we uh, jumped in on the first phase of construction on this campus, building the first couple of classroom buildings and some other um, buildings on the campus there. So that when the school year began in February of this year in 2020, Hope Community Primary School was well equipped to open its doors to 90 students in grades pre-K through grade one. So we just started with three classrooms and then the plan is to add one new grade each year just as we've done through the years at Lighthouse Christian School in Zambia. Uh, sadly, the school, this is a wonderful scene from day one. Sadly, the school had to close its doors about a month later, uh, as all schools did in Uganda uh, due to coronavirus, and they are still not yet reopened. Um, but it was a day to celebrate and a day that our partners on the ground there will, will not soon forget. Um, we have a very short video that both shows you the campus as it's been developed so far and also introduces you to Rosabella, our head teacher on the campus there. So let's go ahead and roll that video. You're welcome to Hope Community Primary School. I'm called Sabit Rosbera, the head teacher of this school. My purpose here is uh, to direct my staff on what they are supposed to do and be in the vision of the school. By the way, you can rent a drone in Western Uganda. Thank you so much for loving us, for supporting us, and supporting our children. Well, uh, since the provision of quality education is so critical to our mission, we wasted no time after the launching of Hope Community Primary School in Uganda before jumping into the next phase of development on the campus of Lighthouse Christian School in Zambia. Uh, you're looking at uh, part of the campus of Lighthouse right here where we've been working for uh, since 2006 with Wilbrod and Ziki Chanda where we now have about 300 sponsored children receiving their education uh, every year through the the, the uh, education that Lighthouse provides. Um, you are now looking at a kind of dark picture. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't see it very clearly, but this is the mock-up of the new building that we are adding. We are in the process of, of adding to Lighthouse's campus right now. 
Um, I don't know if you can see that vaulted ceiling in, in the center there. There's, there's a high ceiling in the center, and that's because there's going to be a spacious assembly hall that's a part of, of this building that will have uh, such wonderful educational purposes. This is a mock-up of, of inside uh, the, the assembly hall, and I love showing this and then a transition to the reality on the ground right now as it's starting to take shape just as we envisioned it there at Lighthouse. Um, this this New building will give us the capacity to add grades eight and nine. So right now those 300 students are all in pre-K through grade seven. Um, we'll have the capacity to add grades eight and nine because we can have science labs in there. We can have a computer lab. Uh, we'll have a, a library and a number of other uh, additional classroom spaces as well that are part of that building. Um, our goal is to have this new building completed by the beginning of the next school year in February 2021 when schools will open in Zambia. Please, Lord. Um, but as you know, or you certainly know if, if you're familiar with the Ministry of Covenant Mercies already, our goal isn't to have impressive looking buildings. Our goal isn't to have beautiful campuses that we can point to. Uh, these schools are a means toward an end. These schools are tools uh, to help us bring quality Christian education to our students with well-trained instructors, with sufficient resources and equipment uh, to a severely underserved population of students. Um, these schools also represent a Monday through Friday context where, where we can create a Christ-centered context for our students and continue to share the gospel in their lives and to continue to shape their Christian character through the use of these school projects as well. Well, let me turn toward concluding here. Uh, Jesus calls us, as we reflected on from his word today, Jesus calls us to, to a generosity uh, toward those who can do nothing to return the favor to us. Um, there are many ways we can do this. There uh, are wonderful ways locally as well as internationally, but I do want to invite you to consider joining hands with Covenant Mercies today to partner with us in, in seeing our Heavenly Father transform the lives of fatherless children, to see our great Father of the fatherless extend his fatherly love uh, to these children through us as we partner with our brothers and sisters abroad. Your sponsorship of children, and by the way, we have a table outside. You won't be able to miss it on your way out. The table will have uh, profiles of children who are available and, and in need of sponsors. If you'd like to consider sponsoring a child, uh, your sponsorship of those children will put our teams into action on their behalf. Uh, you may want to consider investing in the schools that we're developing. We've got some postcards out there that give you a little bit more information about that as we look to provide quality Christian education and maximize our gospel influence in the lives of our kids. And by the way, we don't use any sponsorship funds for those projects. We raise separate funds for that so that you know as a sponsor your gift is a direct correlation directly into the life of your child. Uh, years down the road, we pray that these young people will be graduating from university. We've actually established a, a scholarship fund now for those who graduate from our sponsorship program and have the capacity to go on for university studies. So we're presently, we have 22 students presently who have graduated from our sponsorship program who are now in university studies through the Mapalo Scholarship Fund for Higher Education. And in the end, we trust that these young people will graduate they will take their place in society as influencers in their families, in their communities, in their churches. Uh, and those ripple effects that we were talking about earlier, that we were just kind of dreaming out loud about, will uh, we'll begin to go out that we will only fully see in eternity.
Well, I hope you'll stop by our table at the conclusion of today's meeting. We're prepared to make it as socially distanced as possible, and we'll be all masked up and hope you you can feel comfortable uh, stopping by and considering whether you might want to sponsor a child if you're tuning in by Facebook Live or if you're not comfortable remaining afterwards. You can also do this from home and we're going to conclude with a video that tells you a little bit more about the sponsorship program and also walks you through exactly how you can select a child to sponsor uh, directly through our website. After that, I think the band will return for a final song. Um, but listen, Regardless uh, of whether you decide to join hands with Covenant Mercies today, I hope you'll consider that, but regardless of what the Lord calls you to do specifically, may we all be generous disciples of Jesus Christ who take selfless Christ-like initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay us, knowing, knowing with the rock-solid confidence of faith that we will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Amen. Let's roll that video. Sponsorship through Covenant Mercies can transform the life of an orphan child living in poverty. Your donation of $39 per month provides food, clothing, education, health care, and mentorship. Sponsored children are also taught the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 90% of each sponsorship gift is directly invested into the care of the sponsored child. As a sponsor, you will receive an annual update on your child, and you will also have opportunities to correspond back and forth via letters if you wish. Sponsorship with Covenant Mercies is now easier than ever with our new online form. You can see and select children in need of sponsorship right on our website. At the top of our website's main page, click Orphan Sponsorship. Select Sponsor a Child. On this page, you will see photos of children awaiting sponsorship. You are able to sort the photos by gender, age, country, and highest priority need. Click on the photo of the child to learn more about him or her. When you are ready to sponsor, click the Sponsor Now button. You will see your total at checkout, as well as your next monthly fulfillment date. Proceed to Sponsorship to complete your billing information. Click Sponsor Now to see the confirmation page. If you have any questions about the sponsorship process or would prefer to cover your sponsorship via check or bank transfer, please contact us at sponsorship at covenantmercies.org. Thank you very much for your support in helping a fatherless child break out of the cycle of poverty by sponsoring a child today.